Welcome to Golf Cask and our new sit-down interview series called Whiskey Made Me Say It. We will interview the most interesting and humorous golfers, whiskey makers, and enthusiasts and enjoy their perspective on life. Sit back and enjoy Whiskey Made Me Say It. Welcome to Golf Cast, formerly known as PPG. This is Brian Bailey here, and I have a new uh, Whiskey Made Me Say It segment. Uh, basically, all of my segments here are based around what we're getting ready to do in December here in Charlottesville. We had Virginia Dispilling Company in here. We had Blind Barrels dropping some knowledge about craft whiskey. And now I'm going to switch over and we're going to talk about some of the coaches that are going to be involved in the golf school the first day. So. Uh, without further ado, my guest, my friend, my business partner, uh, Mark Sweeney. How are you today? I'm I'm doing just fine today. I'm just sitting at home, catching up on work, which I you know don't always get to do, and um, was going through all my bottles of whiskey and packing some up and looking at others and sniffing the ones that were already open, <laughs> having having a good time at it. <laughs> so, uh, so our, our I guess our third co-host or is actually Russell's. Uh, we have two different brands, but I have Russell's Reserve uh, Single Barrel. I just opened this, took a little sip, and again, anything wild turkey Russell produced, I'm never disappointed with. Um, first sip was spectacular. What do you got over there, Mark? I have Russell's Reserve Small Batch. Um, nice. Not the exact there, right? same bottle you have, but but similar. You have the 10-year though, right? That's, I've that's got the 10-year, yeah. Good bottle. So, uh, so your bourbon. So that's what we'll be sipping off of as we're uh, talking throughout the day. So uh, first things first, Mark, if you kind of, you know, again, we're, we're going to be golf and whiskey uh, fusion here, but more so golf side. How in the hell did you ever get into golf? <laughs> How did I get into golf? <laughs> God, I don't think I swung a club till I was 20-ish, something like that. And I went out with a buddy of mine in um, – West Palm Beach, Florida, and he said, "Come on, let's go play golf." And I and he loaned me some old ping dots. What are the what were they, what were the pings called? The dots on the ping eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah the reds, the blacks, and the whites. I think. Yeah, dots. I think I think yeah I think he gave me a pair of ping black dots, and and we got on the first tee, and he said, "All right, here's the way this works. You you cannot take this seriously, and you have to drink a beer a hole until you can't make contact with the ball anymore." <laughs> and what I realized <laughs> is that is that a beer holes is drinking fast. That's pretty hard to do. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure by the turn, I, I was stopped making contact on the T-ball. Well, so things haven't changed much. No, things haven't changed much, <laughs> but it was a great introduction. But the best thing he said was don't, don't take it too seriously and have fun. Otherwise you're, we're just wasting our time out here. Yeah, no, I, for most yeah, golfers that, that, that if most golfers took that and applied it to their every round they play, golf would be so much more fun and so many more people would be playing it but uh these competitive nut jobs out there get out there and can't break 100 and are playing the blue tees or the champion tees and you just it's just not fun like no a lot of money to go have fun it's entertainment go yeah if i don't have fun i'm really not interested frankly so if it's yeah. a fun event or fun partners or whatever I'll, i love i love playing but you know i'm not going to go out there i've had a couple times in my life where i got paired up with that that guy that right, guy. the guy who's ultra competitive and angry the whole round, and I just walked. I was like, I'm not out here to play with somebody who's angry for five hours. Like, just yeah. no, just no, <laughs> just no. All right, so just cool. No. So you came, you came into golf a little late. 
uh, in your 20s. And then all of a sudden, now you're a world-renowned putting coach. So how, <laughs> how do you go from your 20s to your, like your 30s now? And, and, and in that small window, how do you go from a guy that can't hit a ball off the ground to teaching the top player or multiple top players in the world and making them better? What the heck happened there? Well, the, the first secret is that I only teach putting. And what I've learned in the years is anybody can teach putting or anybody, <laughs> not anybody, not anybody can teach it well, but anybody can be a putting coach. There you let's, go. let's just, is that, that's probably a good way to say it, right? Yes. Yes. Anybody can be a putting coach. Um, so I fell into that category as well. And, you know, but, you know, my specialty was green reading, obviously, and there was really nobody who taught green reading. So it was a, it is definitely a niche market, but there was nobody who taught it. Um, and I'm always attracted to things like that areas and where, where nobody's really doing something. Um, and so I just kind of fell into it. I wasn't really, I was certainly was not trying to be a putting coach. Geez. I was just trying to like write some cool software and do some fun stuff. Um, and then it's, it kind of evolved into coaching over a lot of years. Um, I mean, if I don't think, I think I started coaching like Oh five, Oh six. Um, and then just kind of did a little more and a little more and a little more. And, and as the process got better and better and people started to be more and more successful, then it just snowballs. Then I, I guess we should say, what is exactly that process? We have not said that yet. Which process are we talking about? Aim point. Oh, aim point. That process. <laughs> that thing. Yeah. So yes, the yes. aim point, the process. Well, aim point is a collection of knowledge, green reading knowledge, mostly putting knowledge, physics. Um, and there, and what you learn, what what I teach now is probably about three percent of everything I've learned in my life. And the cool thing is that three percent is all you need to know. Yeah. You know, a lot of the other stuff is really cool and really interesting, but you don't need to know it um, in order to be a very good, excellent green reader. And so, but that took a lot of years. That took 10 or 15 years to boil all the fat off the bone to where all this stuff is cool, but you don't need to know it. You know, yeah. what you need to know, you need to be able to pick up side slope and hold up your fingers. Boom. Yeah, That's really yeah. all you need to know. And there's the, and again, we, we, we joke about this inside of the world with the golf and, and kind of the lunatics out there that are just all into everything golf is yeah they they tend to go really deep into subject matter but i think the the problem is is as you go deeper into that subject matter that you know how the putter moves you know what does a you know a split x read on a does that really change your performance so you know yeah. kind of as we get we we split off and mark and i started a data science company what we try to discover is what performance pieces matter and what do you need to know to perform and when uh and as a coach i might need to know some of this stuff to to be able to make my player better but for a lot of players be careful on youtube uh be careful yeah. on where you consume a lot of this knowledge because one it, it could or could not be correct uh you know those concepts are really key could or could not be uh but a lot of times you're learning information that might not be beneficial to what you're trying to do how you play the game, how you move the club. So really be careful. So I know with you, disinformation, misinformation, I'm using all the great political words nowadays, uh, misforgetting. Misremember. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I misremembered. <laughs> Misremembering, all that wonderful stuff. I know uh, inside of, you know, I've been with Aimpoint for a lot of years. What are some of the big key points that, that people come after Aimpoint or green reading and, and it's just, 
kind of some of the mysteries of, of the falsehoods of green reading and some of the shots they come after aim point generally uh, that are, you know, just not true. Well, the original ver the original stuff, um, the shot they came after was you just can't do it. It's impossible to predict break. Uh, and that was a hurdle that took years and years and years to get over. I'd say it probably took seven, eight years to get the mark to get the industry past the idea that no, you can actually predict break very accurately, not perfectly 100 percent of the time, but 95 percent of the time. And you know, because people would say, Well, what about spike marks and and pitch marks and footprints and wind and grain and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you can you can predict it 95% accurate, even given those things. Yeah. And, you know, the old guard in the industry was like, no, you can't, you just can't. It's, you know, it's a God given skill and you have it or you don't have it. And there's all this random variation. And the, the reality is nah, there's a little bit of random variation, but, but not a lot. And as a player, you can reduce, you can eliminate a huge amount of, um, of mistakes by just understanding basic I'm not, I'm going to say basic physics. You don't have to understand basic physics, but if you accept basic physics. So if you accept the ball that the, accept the fact that the ball is going to obey the laws of gravity, gravity and friction. Well, now 90% of 95% of the problem solved already. And that, that took a forever to get through just not even any point itself, just conceptually, can you predict break? And then just through trial and error and proving that yes, you can predict break. Cause you know, I did any point on TV for six years only had a couple bad lines and they were my fault. I put the wrong stimp in or the wrong wind direction and the line was bad. Um, but other than that, it, you know, it was accurate to a couple inches every time we did it. Um, and we did thousands and thousands and thousands of live lines. So that, that was the number one biggest hurdle. And thank God I, I haven't really encountered that for a few years now, probably been five or six years since anybody's really beat me up about that one. Yeah. And at, well, and, and if you watch television at all, well, you don't see it that often, but it's out there a lot. Uh, it's the, out there the, a lot more than you see. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, media companies don't always like to show it, but uh, but no, this is what I'm don't. really going to enjoy. I, we're in Ryder Cup week, so this will date kind of a – so the beauty of Ryder Cup week is not a whole lot of action going on. So I guarantee you, you're going to see a whole lot of aim point this week on the TV screens because they can't – Yeah, I mean, I was just looking – peel away from gonna, it. Yeah, I was just looking at the – oh, shut it. I was looking at the um, – the teams and counting up how many people were aim point. I will tell you actually here real quick um, that I'm aware of Yeah, that I'm aware of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of a third. I know for a factor aim point, maybe uh, there's nine, um, nine that I know for a fact. And then there's one, there's some others whose caddies use aim points. So we're up to 11, 12. So we're basically half the yeah, squad. Yeah. About half the squad. About and that's kind of where it is these days. Is about half the half the players, half the top twenty in the world, half the um, half the Ryder Cup, half the Solheim Cup teams. You know, it's about it's about fifty percent penetration right now. That's 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 amazing and it's massive. Get to think, yeah, laugh at that one, enjoy that one. But fifty percent yeah. of the people are on tour, the best in the world, are using this. But so again, let's go back. What would be one or two of the the major concepts you get, even with touring professionals that come to you that are like their belief in green reading is just wrong, whether it's, you know, everything moves to a certain thing, grass grows differently, or what are the one or two concepts that when even the best players in the world come to you and they say it and you just kind of go, well, let's go back to believing physics. Yeah. I mean, certainly there, there's, 
there's certainly a belief out there that you've got topographical effects like ocean. Ocean's a big one, right? Pebble Beach, you have to know where the ocean is to read the putts. No, you absolutely do not have to because we did aim point at Pebble Beach on TV and we had scans of the green and we predicted all the putts for weeks and years on end and we don't know where the ocean is. There's no input for the ocean direction for the, the software. The software says, how much slope is the ball rolling across? What's it going to do? That's it. What's the wind? What's the wind doing? There is no, oh, by the way, the ocean is 30 degrees off to the left. So you got to make an adjustment for that. It doesn't exist. So yeah. um, that one, a little more old school than new, than younger players tend to be less stuck on that. But the older, older players definitely have a little that in their head still for sure. Same thing at Augusta. You know, everybody says, well, what about Race Creek? How do you adjust for Race Creek? I'm like, um, <laughs> my adjustment is plus zero. <laughs> Whatever the break plus is. Or, plus, plus or minus zero. Plus or minus zero for Rage Creek. And it works <laughs> spectacularly well. It so is to, it is yet to fail. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a big one for sure. Um, as far as green green. Grain grain is grain's a hard subject because grain does have an effect, but it's not always the same effect people think it is. Um, it is an adjustment, like wind is an adjustment. Grain can be an adjustment, but is it necessarily an adjustment on every putt? And so that kind of freaks people out a little bit. Yeah. But if you understand grain, it's really straightforward. Um, that that some players are very heavily invested in, some are not. Some just ignore grain, believe it or not, yeah. on tour. They just don't even pay attention to it. Um, and some look at it for every single putt they hit. So so that's that's kind of a sticky subject sometimes, but it's but it's easy easy to work with because you can you can demonstrate the grain effect over and over and over again uh, yeah. on the green. So that's no big deal. Um other than that, it's more about their ability to actually do the read. Like I've had multiple players come to me and say, well, I just can't feel a slope. And we're talking about world-class Olympic athletes going, I can't feel slope. And in my brain, I'm going, well, obviously you can. You walk around a golf courses every week, and you 30 don't weeks over. a year. You don't <laughs> fall down. You're super athletic. You can feel, trust me, you can feel slope. Um, and that's, that's another concept issue where they're trying to feel slope or, or sometimes it's just a, I don't want to do it. So I'm just going to tell you, I can't feel slope just to get out of it. Or which is or fine. It's an out, not or it's an it. out. If, yeah. Or it's an out. It might show other parts of my game and putting is not good enough. And I can still blame it on my read and not say it's my stroke or my speed control or right. something like that. As well. and, and we, and we know a lot of tour players do not like to have a light shined on their weaknesses. No. They'd rather pretend they don't have a weakness than, than to be like, okay, let's just work through this. Yeah, you know, it depends on the personality. Some are very good about it, and some are just they don't want to know. Yeah, they do not want to know. There's gonna blinders on. I don't want to disrupt my my sense of false confidence. And <laughs> yeah, you see the agent like jumping in the background, waving his arms, like shut up. <laughs> shut up. Yeah, I've had some caddies do that to me. I've had some caddies be like, "No, <laughs> zip it. Right Say now. that." I'm like, "What? Oops, <laughs> oopsie. <laughs> Too bad. Already said." <laughs> but uh so what what i find really interesting about aimpoint so it's, it's a great green reading system it allows you to predict break and you become a much better putter instantaneous and we're talking about tour players but how does that go with the average amateur so at december one through three we're gonna have a bunch of whiskey enthusiasts playing golf how are we gonna make them better on the putting green well the cool thing is is the you know I would teach an amateur the exact same process I teach a tour player frame point it's very straightforward if you do it correctly it's incredibly accurate so good putting has to start with good green reading because if you don't know what the right target is you you can't be a good putter you just can't yeah. you won't necessarily be a bad putter but you cannot be a good putter 
or you'll be good streaky good. So sometimes you make a lot of putts, sometimes you make nothing, which is probably the most common scenario I see. So we'll, we'll teach you the ability to absolutely pick a good target every time. Then you can layer on, can I start the ball online? And can I start learning to control speed with a correct target versus under reading it and pulling it and jamming it too hard? Yeah, I think that's perfect. And, and, and in my envision, the kind of how I envision our school coming up is, I think we're going to break them into three groups because there should be 24 golfers. So it's going to be a pretty good amount. So we might break them into smaller sections and be read. We'll do a speed section and we'll do a, maybe a start line skill building session, put them in like eight person groups and then just kind of revolve them through the three coaches. Cause Gareth McShay will be over. And then we have some birdwood coaches that are really good uh, as well. That might join us the host unit or host uh, golf course. But you know, the way I envision this is the really cool part is we can give the amateur a good, you know, a never seen golf before. And I know you've taught a bunch as well as maybe a good amateur and really kind of reveal kind of the, the, the genesis of what it takes to be a good putter. Can you start it online? Can you pick your line? And can you hit it at a relative speed to match that for the ball to have a chance to go in the hole? So I think we can create a really comprehensive golf school. And of course it will be wrapped around whiskey. Uh, but you know, the, the, the concept of priorities first priorities first, that's right. Uh, so, Kind of give me an, an idea of when you've worked with, because I'm I imagine there might be one or two golfers that might even show up that have never played golf but want to drink a bunch of whiskey. So, what kind of success rate have you had with a player that has never played golf and you teach the main point uh, success? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, what's what's fascinating is I've taught main point to many players who literally have never touched a golf club. So I do some corporate events where half or 75% of the people there have literally never touched a golf club. They're out there to have fun and play a little scramble and, and whatnot. And I'll teach a main point. And in, you know, 15, 20 minutes, they're getting really, really good reads. Now, obviously speed control is the big issue there, but they're getting appropriate reads. Like they could get on a 3% slope of 10 feet and say, I got to play two feet of break on this. Yeah. Which, which as an, which as a new golfer, you would never have any clue whatsoever no that you have to play that much break none yeah. zero idea so so yeah i mean it doesn't take any golf knowledge to learn how to perform the read yeah like it really doesn't like you can you can obviously fill in the cracks and get more and more you know advanced about it with golf knowledge but you don't have to have any golf knowledge to 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 feel a slope and to pick an aim point no i think that so like i said for those that are looking to play uh come out it doesn't matter what Heck skill yeah you come have. out we have a lot of fun um so uh like i said we're, we're both drinking russell's um give me some thoughts man i'm every sip i've taken it's gotten better uh i've had this bottle on the wall for about a year and i've never opened it until today and i'm an idiot for not opening this before today i'm so, an idiot what are your thoughts on your side <laughs> i just took my first sip a second ago while you were talking figured it'd be a good time to sip it let's see yes let me have my second sip. It's nice, actually. A little bite right up front. Yeah, well, well the one thing you need, need to know about Russell's is this is the actual head distiller of wild turkey. So this is a branch off of wild turkey. Um, so if you are a wild turkey, I have rare breed 101. 
you're getting <laughs> a lot of those wild turkey notes in it. So you're definitely getting that. Yeah. Like, definitely a bourbon by the nose. Definitely getting caramel, getting sweet. Yeah, definitely caramel, yeah. Getting getting a little bit of that corn. I mean, very sweet by the nose. What I expect a really good bourbon to, to smell like. And then on my side, like I said, I'm in a single barrel, so I'm not in the small batch. Right. And how's that going to change it? Uh, well, a single barrel means it comes straight out of the barrel. So that basically it was a barrel on the shelf. They just tap it, pour it, go. Uh, they might cut it with some water if the, the proof's too high. Where a small batch, they're going to take multiple barrels. It could be two barrels. It could be a version of, and they're going to kind of combine those together. Right. So the cool part is yours was a 10-year small batch. So they, that you can only label it at the youngest barrel that's in there. So the youngest barrel is 10. There could be some 12, 15-year barrels in there as a crate, but you can only label it the, the youngest of the batch. The, the um, youngest. The youngest <laughs> of the batch. So typically what you see... Um, Small batches usually profile wise, if you go from small batch to small batch, bottle to bottle, they should taste similar, very similar, very consistent because they're taking these different batches together and they can kind of reproduce the same flavor. This is right. where the scot you know, a lot of the scotches, almost all scotches are blended because they want it to taste the exact same. So when you have a Glenn Livet or Johnny Walker black or blue, it's going to taste kind of like Johnny Walker Black Blue every time you take It's going to have that very same profile. Um, so batches, they can do that. Out of the barrel, it's just what Mother Nature did. You know, they, you can, they can move the barrels and they can kind of create these micro environments and whatnot and, and try to get a certain flavor. But again, you really are at the mercy of what the barrel's doing and how it does. So single barrels can really fluctuate in taste. Uh, it's not a huge amount, but you can get you know, a different flavor profile from different ones. And, and I've actually had, had a buddy give me a, a sip of a different single barrel and it tasted like crap. It wasn't this company, but, really? but it was just a bad barrel. So when they're produced, you just don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. but, but like I said, to me, uh, wild Turkey, uh, rare breed is probably my favorite bourbon in the fall, just cause it's kind of got that warm, you know, kind of cinnamon nutmeg, oaky middle that just feels like a big fall hug by the fire um i i get the exact same flavor profile coming out of this russell's it's this is phenomenal huh. like i said i'm really so next time you're in charlottesville we'll you'll have to have a pour of this uh, well and that time that time is coming up pretty soon yeah so jimmy russell uh like i said is produces really good stuff he's the head distiller he's kind of the the, the last of the old guard of all the big whiskey uh, manufacturers. He's kind of the, the linchpin from the, you know, from the like 60s, 70s and 80s and kind of pushing through today. He's kind of that middle ground um, and, and he's getting up there in age, but phenomenal, again, phenomenal. I love this one. <laughs> I, can't, nice. I can't say enough about this one. This one might have to find a way into our, uh, it's hard to find a single barrel, but this might have to become a bottle giveaway. Uh, uh, nice. December. Um, uh, so, so where do you see in the future, um, aim point going and kind of you as a golf instructor, where do you, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? Ah, well, I've every couple of years that I've assumed I was going to be somewhere I never was. So I, I, I resist <laughs> predicting where I'm going to be in a couple of years, but so you're going to be in a Guatemalan jail. I could, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you had asked me. 
you know, 10 years ago, if you had asked me 10 years ago, if you'd asked me 15 years ago or 12 years ago, um, if I saw myself being putting coach, a putting coach, I would have laughed in your face. And if you asked me, you know, 10 years ago, if I thought Aimpoint Express would be used by this many players, I would have laughed in your face. Um, Aimpoint is so, the hard part of the Aimpoint is so mature right now. Like it's, the read is so good. It's so stable. It's so accurate. Um, the big question is how do you, you know, expand from there without necessarily getting into, you know, putting mechanics, which I really don't care for. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So kind of where do we go? And I think a lot of it is just kind of knowledge-based and, and, and teaching and performance, you know, the, the tool works, the, the tool, the aim point, the tool works. Yeah. So how do I use it? How do I train it? How do I actually get better using that tool versus, you know, it's not, it's not the only thing you need to get better, but it's certainly a big piece of it. Yeah. Well, it's like the whiskey companies, right? You get your master's bill, right? You get your breakdown of corn and, you know, bourbon wise, corn and rye and malt and wheat, you get that bill, right? And then it's, yeah, like you said, then it's just refinements, right? You know, the base is going to be this and you know, it's always going to taste relatively like this. So then here comes the cool part. Let's change the barrel. Let's change the barrel type. Let's change the barrel place. What kind of little refinements can we just keep milking more and more out of it and, and make it just a little bit better? It's still the same whiskey, but it's just a little bit better. I think yeah. aim point to me is kind of in that position. Like it's very solid. There's not a whole lot of big changes. No, to the it reason. refines. It it's refines just, a little bit over time. It's a small refinements, cleaning things up, making it just a little cleaner. So again, what we're, you know, so what I kind of view uh, aim point has kind of gotten into that high, you know, Scotland, Ireland, you know, now we're starting to get into that 20, 25 year old, just super duper whiskey that's just top shelf. That's just week in, week out. It's just awesome. You know, there's yeah. no variability. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it is you can keep refining it, can keep making it a little bit better. But I think it, to me, it, it's very stable. And, and, uh, and again, if you have 50% of the Ryder Cup, you know, if you're taking literally the best golfers between Europe and the United States and roughly 50% of them are using aim point in some fashion. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you, and you know what, what, what else in golf, what else in the Ryder cup are 50% of the players using golf ball, uh, maybe sports, maybe drugs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if, if Dustin Johnson, no, he's not in the field, but I can imagine some of the well, stuff that he's using. Well, I mean, you, you don't have 50% of them using the same swing coach or the same putting coach, or yeah. maybe not the same golf ball, even, or, or the same clubs or the same, I mean, yeah, it's a big number for, for pro golf with all the competition out there for everything in pro golf. It's a 50% yeah. a big number. That is a very big number. And, and like I said, you've had the, you've had the good fortune to work with number ones in the world. And, and, you know, basically every gap of athlete, from number one in the world, men and women tour all the way through to collegians, even juniors. So, you know, I think the really cool part about Aimpoint and, and the fascinating piece is it doesn't matter who you are, you'll get better just if you learn it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll kind of. Nobody's ever gotten up. worse from it. I can tell you that. I, I can honestly say there's very few things in golf that I can present to somebody where I've never seen it be a negative. No, uh, I agree. You know, you, you know, it, when you start making skill technique changes, things can go a little awry in a very short burst of window, but just being able to understand what a ball wants to do and kind of start it relatively on that line and, and smile a lot. 
Uh, there's no better system. And I look at it this way. If it costs you 200, 250 bucks to go to an Aimpoint clinic, it's going to cost you what? I don't even know how much a Scotty camera costs you now. 800 bucks. Uh, I would advise you to go to the Aimpoint and go buy a, go yeah. to play it against sports and buy just a good used putter. And I guarantee you, you'll perform better than a thousand dollar putter that it was fitted exactly for you. I promise. No question about that. It I is know, not. People... Mark Sweeney will pay you for whatever the, the golf club was. No. <laughs> I'll take your Scotty. I'll I didn't even have it. I bought one one time. Yeah. I bought a Scotty one time because I felt like I was supposed to have, you know, Scotty because all cool people did. Yeah. And I played nine holes with it. I couldn't hit the side of a barn with it. And I put it in my garage. I've never looked at it since. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I mean, no, no offense to Scotty. That's a great putter. Yeah. But, but, you know, I went in thinking that was going to cure my putting problems. And I ended up aiming it pretty hard left and literally played nine holes. And that's all I ever did with it. And I remember at the time, it was a while ago. At the time, it was 350 bucks. And I was just like, ugh. Literally just threw away 350 bucks. Well, if you still have it, I bet you put that baby on eBay. You get a little bit of money off that. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, I liked it. I mean, I putted with a lot of Scotties I really, really liked. But yeah. that was my story. That was my classic it's the putters, the problem. Let me go buy a cool new looking putter with a, you know, with rubies on the back. And that'll make me, that'll make me, that'll, that'll, that'll get me to 30 putts around. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, it never does. Equipment just, never, it does. never does. It's cool looking like you look good, uh, but you don't put it like putty better unless you're a pretty high level golfer. <laughs> you know, in, in the big realm of equipment is this little itty bitty. If you took a, a pie chart and said, what are the most important pieces inside of putting that are going to kind of separate you from the field equipment is a very very small sliver very yeah i mean you should be you should, i mean a, a really great putter should be able to grab a person a person who is a great putter yes. should be able to grab pretty much any putter and putt Make, really well with it yeah I up agree. to and including like a kid's putter you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree so i think the, the concept is for a lot of you know amateurs and whatnot is they think the equipment is the big piece you know i look at it this way a odyssey is going to come off the rack at at whatever loft three degrees loft whatever length whatever lie and scotty cameron is going to come off at four degrees loft whatever lie blah blah blah. they're the same they're not different like now the the you know the feel of it different the look of it different all this but they're not going to give you a crappy putter coming off these you know these no. big manufacturers so no. you know when i always look at people with price points I felt really bad for one player I worked with. She showed up with like a $1,200 putter because it was this head and this shaft and this weighting system and this grip and all. I'm like 1200 bucks for a putter. I'm over here with a tailor made, got it from eBay just cause I thought it was a cool looking putter and I'm out putting you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm still, you know, mine, I'm, still putting, I'm still putting with a 15 year old Nike. Yeah. I mean, so the, and the, the grip concept. is loose. The grip twists all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> kind of got it re-gripped. That's fine. So ridiculous. I can twist it 20 degrees left or right just with my hand. <laughs> hey, let's market that. We could call that like the flow grip. The twisty grip. The flow grip. It flows. <laughs> it, <laughs> it changes your release pattern. <laughs> closes. It closes the face faster. That's right. People <laughs> would buy slower. it. Until... Probably <laughs> slower. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's let's jump over. Uh, we'll we'll wrap this up with kind of your whiskey journey. Uh, ever since I've known Mark Sweeney, he's a big beer guy. Like he'll he'll drink beer with you, uh, but he would always drink a Jack and Coke, and that's kind of our running joke. Is uh, is a Jack and Coke fan. So where where did your passion from Jack and Coke come from? 
Well, I wouldn't say I was passionate about it, but it was kind of just a go-to, you know, one thing you said to me, which which makes an incredible amount of sense, was that the the volume of beer you have to drink versus the volume of whiskey is, is like 10 to 1, right? 12 yeah. to 1, 16 to 1, yeah. right? It depends so, on so how big the pine is. Depends <laughs> how big the pine is, right? Some pines are obviously bigger than others. But, um, you know, I grew up in Texas, and I think I was introduced to it in Texas and it was just kind of a go-to, you know, you know, blue collar whiskey when you didn't feel like drinking Jack, I'm sorry, when you didn't feel like drinking beer, yeah. I, I'm not a, I like, I don't mind vodka, but I don't drink vodka. I don't, I hate gin. Like there's not a lot of, there's not a whole lot of liquors that I like. And Jack and Coke was like, well, it's, you know, it tastes pretty good. And you throw a little sweet Coke in there and ice and it's an easy, it's an easy to drink. Yeah. So, so it's just a, you know, are you in a beer mood or are you not in a beer mood? You know, and the older I get, the less and less of a beer mood I, I get in sometimes just because it's filling. <laughs> yeah, it's very filling. Like, yeah, I have a gut. I agree. I, yeah. And I think it, and it, it's what's really cool is uh, there's some videos from uh, when I had you and Gareth and Chris George came over, all golf coaches, and we did kind of a sampling around the world and we just did different whiskeys, yeah. all kind of different. And again, I think if you've never, if you're new to whiskey, like you need to really push your boundaries and go try different whiskey types because there's so many different types and there's so many different flavor profiles. Uh, you know, when I was coming through college, it was wild turkey, it was, it was everywhere. Like, but you just shot it, right? You put it in a shot glass, you throw it yeah. down. All you ever got was the burn of the alcohol. You never got any of the flavor note. You, like you would just never tasted it other than, oh my God, that tasted like rocket fuel. Like, why yeah. do I keep doing this to myself? Well, part of it, my intention was in a different place, right? I was drinking for a different reason where nowadays I drank for the flavor, the right. tradition, the, the, just what everything has gone into this bottle and enjoying that where back in the day I was, you know, drinking for different reasons. So I think that that concept. So if you, if you are new to whiskey, if you're coming to the golf event for us and you're very new to whiskey, we're going to have tons of samplings. So you're going to have samples your first day. Um, celebrating Virginia whiskeys, and we got a couple of them sitting right here that might aptly be your samplers. We have Lost, we have Ragged Branch, and we have the Virginia Distilling Company. So those might be in your sample packs on your first day, um, and just giving you a, a wide selection of rye and wheat and kind of just bourbons and a single malt. Just kind of here's some different flavors. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Uh, second day, we're going into craft um, with the Blind Barrel guys. They're going to send us four samples of um, craft whiskeys from the U.S. and actually John Pond, who's a friend of mine, uh, married to Lauren Coughlin, who's on the LPGA. We actually went out and played golf at Birdwood the other day, and we took the sample pack out there and we we drank. We sampled on the four hardest on the hardest hole, the easiest hole, the signature hole, and then just a random hole that we kind of picked. So we went out and sampled and drank to that. And then I think on the last day we're going to give you a sample of more around the world. We'll, you know, we'll. we'll the first, the first event, we're going to target Virginia. Then we're going to kind of do some craft stuff, kind of cool. And then we're going to do kind of a world tasting uh, to kind of take home with you just again to, to kind of broaden your, your understanding of whiskeys. And plus, we're giving away bottles and all this tour stuff. Uh, so there's a lot going on. But I think, you know, having that ability to sit down and taste different ones and actually really try to see if you can see the difference. And I think once you have that, that epiphany of that one tastes different than that one, your whiskey journey begins. 
Yeah, I yeah, I had that at one point not too long ago. Um, maybe the first time might have been when we were in Dublin and we were killing some time and and went to a whiskey tasting, went to had some flights. I'm like, these are completely different. I think oh, it was yeah, like six of them. And I was like, these these are all completely different. Like, whoa. And the <laughs> and the funny thing is they're all the they're almost the exact same recipe because you know, over there you're getting a lot of single malts, so it's all barley, it's malted barley. So they're all the exact kind of same recipe so you would think that it should taste relatively the same it's the same recipe right yeah but they, they come out completely different yeah no no doubt so it's been it's uh yeah it's been fun i'm certainly going more in that direction like i'll have beer once in a while but i'm certainly much more likely to go try to find a nice whiskey um if i'm having a drink no i agree i think um my, my metamorphosis happened during covid and then like i said i can't if I go out now and have two beers, I'm like, I'm done. I'm bloated. I'm blah. bloated. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, granted, I don't want to go out and drink more than two whiskeys because then it can start going a little sideways. However, <laughs> no, I, if I had to, if, if somebody forced me to drink more than just one whiskey or two, I would rather drink six whiskeys than, than you know, seven beers. Right. Uh, just say uh, just to me, I, I will function much better the next day and uh, life will be much better. And then again, if you're drinking six Jack and Cokes, man, that's hangover central, man. Totally. All that no sugar question. going in there, man, stripping your B, B vitamins away from you. Yeah, that's a, yeah. So to me, drinking neat is, is ideal. Maybe ice, uh, if, if you're ice or put water on it. But when you start adding cocktails, those are, that's the worst drinking night on earth because all the sugar in your body, it does not like that. So, uh, so drink neat and drink responsibly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan. I never drank neat before, but I'm I'm definitely a fan now. Yeah, I once you kind of understand it and appreciate it, it it's 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 like a good golf shot. You just sit back and kind of savor. Because again, if you think about it, you know that's a ten year bottle that's on your. It sat in a warehouse for ten years. What business model on earth says make a product and go stick it on the shelf for ten years, and then stick water in it. And then stick water, <laughs> take a grain, put water, go stick it on a shelf and know that every year you're going to lose 10% of the barrel from evaporation. Great business. Right, model. right, right. And then throw the, then throw government in hitting you with, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, anywhere from 40 to 60% tax rate. Yeah. Right. So again, really appreciate what these, these men and women do inside of the whiskey world. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, all right, we'll wrap this up. Uh, December one, two, three. Come join Mark Sweeney, myself, Gareth McShay inside of our golf school. That'll be December one. It looks like it'll be from twelve to three, and then after that, we'll go downtown to the Whiskey Jar, which is our our best whiskey bar inside of Charlottesville. Very so, exciting. And we're gonna do dinner and a first class uh, tasting. So you'll have five actual tastes. And you'll have kind of a, a pour glass with it, um, kind of kind of to set the mood. Um, and then, like I said, we'll golf and Saturday whiskey tasting uh, at Virginia <laughs> Distilling Company and tour and bottle. And then Sunday, some more golf competitions and lots of samples and lots of bottles to give away. So uh, right on. Uh, today is September 26th. September 28th is the day that I'm going to be pushing out the entry fee, entry slips and all that. I've gotten a bunch of people that are interested, so uh, be looking out for that in the coming days. You can find that at GolfCast, as well as I'll probably do a mailing to different groups as well. So we'd love to have you, and we'll see you shortly. Uh, Mark, 
October 14th, maybe Virginia um, Spirit Norfolk. Possibly, yeah. We'll go down there and drink some whiskey. Possibly, yes. Trying to work uh, that out. So, and, and we'll network. So anybody right. in the Tidewater, Virginia area, come meet us on the 14th down in Norfolk. So thank you again, and we will talk in the future. Thank you. This has been a Fuel production.